Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So I'm very excited today. We have a founder that uh, really knows quite a bit about building, scaling, financing, and all of the good stuff that we like to hear. So I guess without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Brian Fenty. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Alejandro. It's great to be here. So originally from Connecticut. So give us a little of a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up? Yeah, it's funny. I spend most of my life in big cities now, but I, I grew up in a very small town in Torrington, Connecticut. Uh, amazing working class parents. Uh, didn't go to college, but always were uh, moving from job to job, working hard, uh, providing a good living. Uh, I was an only child, um, but was always around music and dancing and laughter and joy. And I think that that's really um, where my love of art and culture came from. So it was a it was a really happy time growing up there. So how did you get into the whole entrepreneurial thing? I mean, was there something going on in the family or or that developed over time? No, you know, it, it's I jokingly say that it started when I was three years old because um, I wasn't athletic as a kid. Uh, we didn't have enough money to have video games or lots of toys. And so I went down to the local theater. There's a great theater in Torrington, Connecticut called the Warner Theater. And I went down to the Warner Theater and I was cast in a show at three years old. And uh, I know that that doesn't really sound like anything entrepreneurial, but it, it started a career of really hustling to direct and produce. And I was in uh, over 55 productions before I was 14 and used some of the funds that I made from, from that uh, early childhood career to pay for boarding school and college. And uh, so it really was the, the start of my business uh, career. No kidding. And I guess that, uh, that experience too, I'm sure it shaped quite a bit the way that you tackle storytelling. And, you know, people people don't really pay attention to this, but storytelling is everything. You know, whether you sell yourself, whether you sell your business, it's all about accomplishing things on the day-to-day -day basis. So how, how do you think that shaped up your storytelling side of things? It's such a great point because I actually think of myself as an introvert, which always surprises people. Um, you know, CEO of a company, 400 employees. I spend my day talking about uh, ticketing and theater and technology and financing. Um, but but really, uh, I think it all does come, as you say, from the theater. I was put onto a stage at a young age with a script and a part and a narrative and part of a team that was telling a story to an audience that had to believe that it was authentic and true and genuine. And so you're right. I think it does come from that part of my life. That's amazing. Now, in your case, you went at it, you know, really studying it before uh, practicing it. So you went and studied entrepreneurship. You combined it with uh, marketing. You went to North Carolina. Now, one thing that is very interesting is that you didn't go right into it. I mean, you went more into the investment side of things. Uh, I guess, you know, I don't know what triggered that or why you thought that was the best way to go because you had it in you. But why did you go after more like the private equity side of things versus maybe like taking the leap? You know, if I'm really honest, I was in the entrepreneurship program at Chapel Hill, and it was an incredible but new program. And what was special about it 
is that all of the teachers were accomplished entrepreneurs. So Ted Turner flew in to teach one of our marketing classes. And Buck Goldstein, who was an amazing entrepreneur uh, in technology and informatics, uh, taught some of our classes. And Alexander Julian, a famous fashion designer, taught what not to do. It was an amazing time to be around great technologists and luminaries. Um, but what's interesting is I always had a chip on my shoulder about making money. And so because of where my parents came from, because we were sort of immigrant family coming to the coming to the States. And so for me, going into private equity, uh, which is what I did out of school um, after a short stint at the New York Yankees, was really about um, finding a creative way to have a successful career that was also around young companies. And so what I loved about private equity was that it's transactional. There were dozens of companies that I was meeting on a monthly basis. I was, it was satisfying my creative urges. It was allowing me to work with founders and operators on what was right and wrong with their business and really learning it from the outside in. And it was only at the end of that period that I said, well, geez, I really, I miss, I'm longing for jumping into the company. What did you learn about picking winners too? Because I think that now you have experience being on both sides of the table. And we're going to be talking about your, your, your baby now, you know, just a little bit, your company, which is a rocket ship. But I guess more on being on the investment side of things. You know, now that you are on the entrepreneurial side and you're able to look back, I think that during that time as an investor, how do you think that has helped you to, to really understand what separates good companies from bad companies? What are those ingredients? It's, it's such a great question, and I know that everyone has different ingredients, but I think the one common ingredient that we all have are authentic, genuine leaders who have vision and purpose. I remember one of the first investments I made was in the salad company Sweetgreen, and we were in their first uh, institutional investment round, and I remember sitting at the table in a restaurant in Manhattan with the three young founders who are still good friends to this day, and I knew then that they had an authenticity and a passion about what they were doing that would scale them through any of the highs and lows that would face their business. So people number one, and that's the easy one. Um, hard to find, but easy when you meet them. You just know that you have the right entrepreneur. The second one uh, is a bit more commercial. And it's a, an adage that I was told early on, which is well bought is half sold. Uh, and in this world where the market's correcting right now, I think it's a good reminder and a good lesson uh, that, that really thinking about the fundamentals of a business, how you buy it, how you structure it, it, it's a great opportunity to align the investor and the entrepreneur to set the company up for success. And then the final one is invest in products that you believe in and that you understand. Uh, I made that mistake early in my career. I remember investing in a in a credit card processing company that I knew very little about. And it was a great product. The investment actually did very well, but I couldn't add value at the board table. I couldn't add value as an advisor. And so I've always just learned, um, stick to what you know and, and stick to where your expertise can add value and impact. And I think that's probably why I, I ended up starting a business that, that traverses technology and theater. And, you know, it's a, it's very interesting what you just said, adding value as a board member. You know, there's probably a lot of mm. investors that are listening to us that are doing their pitch to founders. Oh, we add tons of value. You know, the truth of the matter is, is that most investors don't add value. I mean, that's just like the nature of it. Now, 
When it comes to adding value as a board member, what does that look like? Because I'm sure that a lot of investors listening are going to get some good value out of this. And then also founders to really understand who they need to place at the top to really guide the, uh, the strategy. It's, it's funny. I, I talk to a lot of investors and a lot of startups about this. And of course, they both have different answers on both sides. Um, and from my view, I always tell companies when I'm joining a board or I'm going to advise um, that I have strong convictions loosely held. And what that means is um, I hope that my expertise and my experience can lend value and show a different perspective. And I never give advice as you should do this. I give advice as, I've lived a similar experience. Here's what I learned in that experience and how you might generate value um, from that. And, and that really is a powerful tool um, because entrepreneurs then know that we're not going to try to be the smartest people in the room. Board members who try to be the smartest people in the room aren't teaching. What's really helpful is for the entrepreneur to feel that they can generate ideas and can see blind spots that they might otherwise have. So for me, that's how I approach being a board member. In shaping our own board at TodayTix Group, um, we've looked across um, all of the products that we're building, but also the challenges we think we're gonna face two, three, four years out and staff a board that adds value, not for where the company is today, but where the company is going to be in four years. And I think that's also been helpful, uh, you know, not creating a board for, for yesterday's business, but creating a board for tomorrow's uh, challenge. Now, let's shift gears a little bit here. So you were for quite a while on the investment side, you know, doing private equity investments. And all of a sudden, you decide it's your time. It's your time to, you know, take the leap of faith and it's your time to start, you know, your current company right now, which is Today Tix Group. So why? Why did you think, you know, at that point in 2013 that it was your time? It was your time to really, you know, take ownership of your own future. So I'll tell you, there's a there's a story I don't often tell, which is that. Uh, this this uh, business actually started with a potential acquisition as a private equity investor. So I was looking at buying a digital business uh, that played in the theater world. And because not many private equity guys also have a theater career behind them, a banker had called me and reached out about this business. It was a very interesting business owned by a husband and wife couple that was doing a, it was generating five million EBITDA a year selling coupons to Broadway shows. Very old school business, very archaic model, um, but it was an interesting little market. And so we looked at buying that business. And in the 11th hour, we had raised the money. Um, we had my, my now business partner had quit his job and come over to be an operating partner for us. Um, we were sitting at the closing table ready to buy this company and the sellers never showed up. My God. They didn't come to the closing table. We had all the money sitting in the bank. We had all the investors lined up. And sometimes deals don't, don't happen. And so a week later, after wondering where they went, they showed up. And as is often the case in an organization with a negotiation, they asked for a few million dollars more. And my partner and I looked at each other. And I remembered the old adage, well bought is half sold. And I said, this isn't the right price and this isn't our deal. And we walked away from that business and we took a few months to collect our thoughts. And we said, okay, if that was the old age business of being in theater, what's the new age business of doing ticketing and of solving these problems? 
And so from that, from the ashes of that deal came Today Ticks, which was initially meant to be the TKTS booth in Times Square on your phone. And that's how we started. And quick question there. I think that to double click uh, on that, they came back. I mean, you were, as you were saying, you were wondering where the hell are these guys? And then all of a sudden they show back. And I mean, most people would just do that deal. And you were just saluting to, hey, that was not a deal. Was it more like because of you guys were just pissed that of the of the lack of <laughs> etiquette of not showing up, or or you just analyzed the numbers and then you know from a from a analytical you know perspective it just didn't make sense you know the the transaction. I mean, what what drove that walk away? I think we knew going into the deal before they walked away, we knew that we could build a better mousetrap. We knew that we could build a great product off of this idea. Um, and so the, the higher the price got, the more conviction we had that maybe we should take these resources and build this company from the ground up with new technology, with a new brand perspective, with, with all of the experience that we had coming from I, my business partner and I met at theater camp when we were 11 and 12 years old. So we had known each other and known this story in this context for so long. So I think ultimately, the the sellers gave us the greatest gift they ever could have. They gave us a reason to say no. And we didn't have a reason to say no until that moment. And so really, um, I'm very grateful for that journey because without it, we might have, I think we still would have built the same great company, but it would have taken us a lot longer because we would have been saddled with, with you know all of the expectation of, preserving that business and uh, keeping the model stable and all of the things that come with running a legacy company. Mm. Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard and already doing your business alone it's super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Severson, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a Series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid-cap type of um, a cycle. So, Again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. You decide and, and, and you realize that you could build a better mousetrap. What were the next steps? So we surrounded ourselves with a bunch of great advisors. So you talk about uh, board members. And I, one of my mentors is the restaurateur, Danny Meyer. And I always felt like his 
uh, book, Setting the Table, was one of the great business books of all time because it says that business isn't always traditional, that it can be hospitality, that it can be about service. And so he, Danny always said to me, uh, you get to choose who you invite to the dinner table. And so we surrounded ourselves with a great group of investors. It was Danny Meyer. It was John Ledecky. It was uh, Jeremy Zimmer, who owns a United Talent Agency. It was all of these various pieces that came together in a really safe place that allowed us to build the proof of concept. And we sort of, with abandon, just built the proof of concept. And the idea was pretty simple. You looked at Airbnb, you looked at Uber, you looked at Hotel Tonight. These were companies that eliminated friction, created beautiful e-commerce experiences, and had design front and center for the user. And in the ticketing world, uh, and we've all been reading a lot about Ticketmaster and, and their experience uh, with consumers, um, you know, the ticketing world always put the promoter or the concert or the artist first, not the audience. No one had ever said, if the audience wins, the partner wins. So what happened was you had a lot of technology out there that were very big, scaled, amazing, uh, amazingly profitable businesses. But the truth is they were viewed by consumers as necessary evils or utilities. And what TodayTix was initially and what TodayTix Group is still today is a collection of beloved brands that are changing the face of cultural experiences that are serving the customer first, always first. And in that, um, Today Tix was born. So that's, that's how we did it. We built the first product and we got, very, we got a very lucky break early on, um, which is there was a very unknown show down at the public theater that had sold out called Hamilton. And they were looking for um, a way to market their show, even though they were sold out. They had no way, you know, they didn't want to spend money on it, of course, because they had sold all the tickets, but they knew that they were going to go to Broadway and they wanted to get a lot of buzz. And so the first thing we did was to say, let's build a technology that solves that problem. So the first technology we built actually after the, the core ticketing app was a lottery, a digital lottery called Ham for Ham. It was $10 for 10 front row tickets. That lottery in the first eight weeks had over 250,000 entries. Wow. Uh, which for a small little business was a, was a real bullseye on the map. And uh, the rest is history from there. So for the people that are listening to really understand it, what ended up being the business model here? How do you guys make money? So the business model initially was a mobile app only that sold and aggregated theater tickets on a, a very design-forward premium experience app. It was always algorithmically the lowest prices for the best seats, and you could buy your ticket in 30 seconds or less. And while that seems simple now, in 2013, there was no such thing as an e-ticket. So TodayTix actually built the first ever e-ticket, mobile ticket on your phone. That was how we started. And we were paid a small fee from the consumer and a small fee from the show. And in doing that, we were able to have a low price for both sides, as opposed to, you know, sending a huge fee to the consumer or a huge fee to the producer. And that was the original business model. The company is now a $500 million a year business across more than 250 brands that we both own and operate. And it's still very much the same design forward experience. So 30 seconds or less. All of the inventory for performing arts, dance, opera, theater, concerts, music, et cetera, 
anything that you could do on a night out, that's what we service. Um, but it still comes back to that frictionless e-commerce experience for the audience. Wow, that's incredible. Now, for you guys, how has been the experience too of going through a pandemic with a company like this? Oh my goodness. Um, if a cat has nine lives, I feel like we've lived through 15 during the pandemic. Um, it, it, we went in February, 2020, two things happened. One is we had record-breaking revenue, we had record-breaking profit, and we had finally gotten to scale after, after seven or eight years in business. But then in uh, number two, we bought a company. We bought our first, we made our first acquisition of a company called Encore Tickets. It was an expensive deal. It was an international global ticketing platform. It was the 800-pound gorilla in London, and it really put us on the map. We closed that deal four weeks before the pandemic started and the whole industry shut down. So I had 200 new employees a world away from New York, where I was living at the time with my wife and my kids, um, and, and the business shut down. And it didn't just go to zero dollars in revenue. It went to negative revenue because, of course, there were tens of millions of dollars of refunds and exchanges that consumers all around the world needed on the tickets that they could no longer use. Wow. So over that next 18 months, we were faced with two decisions, fold and go out of business and sacrifice all the great progress we had made, or actually double down and use that as an opportunity to rebuild technology, to optimize our algorithms, to integrate the deal that we had just done with Encore, to reward our best talent instead of laying them off, uh, and to say, we're building a big global business. We are going to transform culture. And eventually the pandemic will subside, uh, theaters will reopen, governments will celebrate art and culture, and the world will come back to normal. And I'm, and I'm happy to say uh, we've just had a record-breaking year. We're back on top uh, in terms of our revenue numbers, our audiences. We have more than 20 million consumers uh, who use our products uh, every year. Um, and so I, I, I'm very thankful that we made it through that experience because it just reminds you as an entrepreneur, there are going to be rainy days. And as long as you're thoughtful and well-capitalized, have good partners and a sound business model, um, you can have a great time running those businesses even in the downtimes. So talking about being well-capitalized, uh, what is it like to raise capital for, you know, uh, kind of like, um, I would say like a niche, an archaic, you know, type of, yeah. uh, type of space? <laughs> uh, and I guess before you go into that too, how much capital have you guys raised to date? So we haven't disclosed the, the total number, but I can tell you it's over $200 million okay. uh, in, in both acquisitions and capital raised. Um, our investors are Great Hill Capital and Bain, excellent investors, fabulous partners, really strategic, and they see the vision for what we're building. Um, but it wasn't all roses, I will tell you. you know, they are two of the best investors in the world. But when we started 10 years ago, many doors were slammed in our faces, as is often the case with entrepreneurs. But especially for us, because theater, everyone loved the idea of a frictionless ticketing app. Everyone said, oh, God, Brian, this is a great idea. We'd love to invest. But why theater? And I would show a slide that showed sports as a $20 billion industry, theater as an $18 billion industry, and film as a $9 billion industry. So when we started, theater was actually twice the size of the film industry. But despite that slide, Investors would look and sort of scratch their heads, and, and in a way, they would almost say, 
no, that couldn't be true. Theater, you know, I don't like theater. And what I've realized is so many decisions that we all make are based on our biases that come from our upbringing, our context, our experience. And theater, to many people, feels like a small niche mom and pop business. And the truth is, it is niche. It is archaic. But as a result, it's a very large market where there's no professional capital, where there are no professional operators. And so it created a real opportunity for us to be great partners to the industry. And so early on, we brought in Walden Ventures, a Silicon Valley uh, venture capital firm who were fantastic partners to us. Art Berliner there really understood art and culture. He was an art collector himself. He uh, was a founding investor in Pandora. So he really understood how culture and art could be commercial. And I'm very grateful for his mentorship during that period. That's amazing. That's amazing. Now, when it comes to, you know, imagine vision, because obviously you had to sell the vision to, to these investors. If you were to go to sleep tonight, Brian, and you wake up in a world where the vision of the company is fully realized, what does that world look like? It's, I love thinking about this, and it's a great question because at the end of the day, TodayTix is connecting culture to commerce. And if we do our job well in five years, we have transformed the ability for people to engage with commerce and culture. And what I mean by that is um, no longer is culture going to be a luxury and something that is hard to achieve because we believe that in finding our company mission is find a seat for everyone. And the reason it's fine to seat for everyone is that we believe that the great cities in this world, whether it's New York or San Francisco or Nashville or Memphis or Chicago or Berlin or Paris or Sao Paulo, that the culture of those cities contributes to the strength of those cities. And so I hope that when we wake up in five years, we've built a very large multi-billion dollar business that uses technology, mobile first uh, practices around design and commerce uh, to really take art and culture and bring it to the masses, to remove barriers, to make pricing and profitability for shows and content creators more viable, um, and to have an ever-expanding global network of theaters, producers, and audiences um, to engage. I love that. Find a seat for everyone. You know, very uplifting, I, I, I got to say. And you were talking about culture, too. I'd love to, to also know, you know, the way that that you guys have thought about culture as well, because you've done a few acquisitions. And I find that on the acquisition side of things, uh, integration is everything. You know, most deals, unfortunately, they, they fail because of the integration piece. So what have you guys learned about integration? And then also, how do you think about culture too in the, in the big scheme of things? I'll tell you, we've done $100 million deals now, and we've done $1 deals. And we take both $1 and $100 million deals equally seriously for the reason you just described, which is that culture is everything at a company. And I appreciate your saying that you like find a seat for everyone because it's a commercial and aspirational goal. And I find that when you solve a problem that is both commercial and aspirational, teams really love that because it appeals to both their competitive spirit, but also their humanity. And, and it was really important to have that as a, as a North Star through this whole experience. And I say that because one of the acquisitions that we did is a business called ShowScore. ShowScore was one of the, uh, on the smaller end of the range that I just described. It was a small niche business 
that is the Rotten Tomatoes of live theaters. So it's a live reviews platform for experiences. This was a business that had an amazingly rich community. It had an incredibly diverse leadership team and audience base, which brought great perspective to our company. But most importantly, we brought it in. And a lot of people said, well, Brian, why does ShowScore make sense at TodayTix Group? But I'll tell you what we've done with that business. What we've done with that business is we've turned it into a real-time feedback engine for producers on Broadway and in the West End, right? Producers create these 20 and $30 million shows, and they have no feedback on what audiences think other than their ticket sales. Because we own both the ticketing business and now the reviews platform, we can actually give producers real-time net promoter score feedback on what audiences are thinking about their shows, whether they buy tickets based on those insights, what parts of the shows they like or dislike. And as a result, we're actually making shows more efficient and also creating better shows uh, for audiences by having that data. So that's just an example of how we look at even a small deal. On the large scale, um, and again, as I said, we've done, we've done acquisitions that are you know, $100 million deals with, with 200 employees. Um, and in those deals, what is so important is out of the gate aligning on how these companies together are stronger than apart. Because if it's just a matter of let's join these two companies and it makes us bigger and bigger is better because we'll get a higher multiple, nobody signs up for that. Employees are depressed, they're burnt out, they have very fuzzy vision, and they assume it's just the greed of the management team. And what I find is a thoughtful M&A strategy, and it doesn't always mean it's easy, by the way. There's, there's a lot of hard work that goes into integrating these businesses. But if you have a clear vision and a stated problem, so we, we start every acquisition with a, with a town hall meeting where I say, we've just acquired Blank to help us find a seat for everyone. And here's how they're going to do it. And so we tie it directly to the vision. And then we walk them through all of the components of how that business will catalyze a market or supercharge a product that we own or give us access to a new audience segment that's otherwise hard to reach authentically. Wow. I love that. I love that. Now, we talked about innovation. We talked about future. I like to talk about past, but talking about the past with a lens of reflection. So if I was to put you into a time machine and I bring you back in time, Brian, and I give you that opportunity of being able to, to have a seat with that younger Brian, that younger Brian that maybe you know, is coming out of university, you know, maybe coming out of university with uh, that thinking of one day, you know, or eventually I'm going to start my thing and, and finding you know, your way. If you were to be able to give that younger Brian one piece of advice before launching a business, what would that be and why, given what you know now? Be human. Build human products. I think the success of so many of these brands that we know and love, even though they have tenacious founders and they have exceptional business models and they have beautiful products, what sets the winners away, in my view, is that they have such an authenticity and a humanity to the products that they build. And, and I mean that technologically too, right? So if you think about our products, we built an app that sold tickets in 30 seconds or less because we wanted it to feel human. We, bought, we built and bought uh, with Encore Tickets, uh, an acquisition in the UK, we built and bought technology that distributes the inventory from 20,000 theaters 
to 250 storefronts from TripAdvisor to lastminute.com to the Times and the Telegraph, all sorts of interesting properties. But what sets it apart is it's human. It knows how the audience wants to buy and it gives them that experience. Our North Star at Today Tix is to have a six star experience. So there's five stars in a traditional theater review. And we always say, how do you get that six star from the consumer? So that they'll never have to go to another platform so that their loyalty is a given. So we do lots of things. We do universal ticket protection. We do um, concierge service where you get a VIP concierge service, even if you're buying the cheapest ticket uh, on the app. Um, we do customer service in real time. Uh, we have humans at, at the end of our customer service. So there's all of these little nuances to building a utility that people love. And I wish if I could go back in time, I'd say, Brian, don't shy away from that. You don't need to be the toughest voice in the room. You don't need to be the most rigid. Be, build human products. Be authentic, uh, be visionary, and always do it with a lens of solving problems for real people. I love that. I love the um, what you're alluding to there and, and also authenticity because authenticity also helps to build meaningful connections. Uh, and, uh, and, and, I, and I really find that what you just said there is super profound. So, Brian, for the people that are listening that would love to reach out and say, hi, what is the best way for them to do so? I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm available. I'm always networking and I love talking to curious, interested entrepreneurs, investors, culture creators, disruptors. So uh, reach out and say, hey. Amazing. Well, Brian, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, Share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.